is this a crazy year? Oh, my word. The dumbest thing I bought this year was a 2020 planner. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Who can plan anything? Uh, the theme for 2019 was stay away from negative people. The theme in 2020 is to stay away from positive people. So we've had some, uh, a few people in the church that were positive for the COVID-19, and they're doing fine. I, I won't call their names. I didn't ask their permission, but they're doing great. They're all healed up and recovered. But because a couple of people were in contact with them, they thought it best to not be here today. So <clears throat> they've all chosen to self-quarantine, and, and uh, they'll be back next Sunday. Praise God. Um, but everything is crazy. You know the world's turned upside down when old folks are trying to sneak out of the house and the kids are yelling at them to stay inside. <laughs> so they're talking about a quarantine again. Oh, Lord, I hope not. Because I heard the last time one guy was so bored that he called Jake of State Farm just to have somebody to talk to. And Jake asked him what he was wearing. But if we do have to quarantine, I have a little advice for you. Social distance from the refrigerator. And try your blue jeans on every day or so because pajamas will convince you that everything is well in the kingdom. Till you get ready to go out again and try to get back in those jeans. Amen. But one good thing about COVID-19, it did something that women have never been able to do. It canceled sports, shut down the bars, and kept men at home. Now if we could just get them to live stream CVAG, I'll tell them about Jesus and they won't need the bar anymore. Amen? <laughs> Praise God. Somebody says, Pastor, be careful. You're going to offend somebody now. Well, I've never seen a time when people are so easily offended. Amen? I mean, everybody, it's like they're walking on eggshells, afraid to say or do the wrong thing, afraid somebody's going to get offended. Police don't know how to do their job. Teachers at school, they don't even know how to talk because they might say or do the wrong thing. Politicians, ministers, <laughs> you don't know what to say. You might offend somebody. Even sports fans. I mean, come on, the Redskins. I come from Indian descent on my mother's side, and I'm pretty sure the Native Americans really didn't have a problem with the name of the Washington Redskins. But now they're the Washington, what? I don't even know what they are. The Washingtons? Washington football, I mean. Now Monument Avenue, good grief. I mean, the statue's been standing there for 100, over 100 years, and now all of a sudden they're an offense to everybody. You got girls that think they're little boys that want to be called boys' names, and if you don't, they get offended. Little boys that think they're girls and want to be called a girl's name, and if you don't, they get offended. I had one brother in Christ, he pointed out on Facebook the fact that the rainbow was a covenant between God and man that he would never judge the earth again by bringing a flood. He was called in the office and said, if he ever posted anything like that on social media again, that they would fire him. 
because that is an, it's offensive to the LGBTQ plus group. To everybody, it's it's hard to even talk anymore without offending someone. Church leadership is harder now than it has ever been in any time that I can remember. Church leaders are having to try and navigate through a minefield of hypersensitivity where everything offends somebody. And doing that while we have to deal with all the madness and mayhem that we're seeing right now. The Black Lives Matters movement that's been hijacked by Marxist, socialist, extreme left-wing progressive liberals. Antifa, just waiting for an excuse to riot and loot and burn down our cities. We're having to navigate through the ethnic and racial divide that we're seeing in our country. Church leaders are having to navigate through now the election corruption. The greatest nation in the world, we can't even vote in a president without the corruption and voter fraud. I heard on PTL Club, not PTL Club, 700 Club, Pat Robinson, CBN News, that I think it's in Michigan, don't quote me on this, but they have found 300 precincts where they had more people vote than they had registered in the precinct. And all of the votes went for one candidate, which was statistically and mathematically impossible. And that's just in one state. It's, it's absolutely madness, you know. And now we've got more COVID-19 restrictions on the horizon. I was talking with the, <clears throat> our board members this week about what we were going to do about this. And I apologize for you guys wearing masks, but that's something I'm afraid we're going to have to insist on. Uh, <clears throat> it, it, they, they can actually fine you and they can actually shut you down. It, it's just, you have to look at it like this. You have a right to drive on the highway. That's your, your right. But you don't have a right to do that at 100 miles per hour. They set restrictions, and we discuss it, and like, well, wearing masks is not really an unreasonable request. And so we, we've mandated that at the risk of offending somebody. You know, and I was talking to one of the board members. He said, Pastor, we're danged if we do and danged if we don't. He said, if you do, you're going, if you're going to offend those that disagree. And if you don't, you're going to offend those that do agree. As I'm telling you, there's never been a more difficult time to, to lead and pastor in churches than what we're facing right now. And so we're going to offend some people, you know, and, and I'm sorry if you're offended. I really am. We, we, I, I've told you many times, I don't think anybody in church leadership gets up on Monday morning and said, now just who can I really tick off this week? You know, we don't want to offend people, but there are certain things that we have to do and it's not a question of if you're going to offend somebody, but a question of who's going to be offended. So I chose to preach on that subject this morning. <clears throat> Jesus had much to say about this. In Matthew, I'm sorry, Mark chapter 4, if you want to get your Bibles out and find your place there. Jesus is teaching by the seaside, and there was a gathering there, the Bible says, of a great multitude. Now, he, he gives the parable of the sower. 
He says, the sower went out and he sowed the seed. Some of it fell by the wayside and the birds of the air came and they devoured it. He said, <clears throat> excuse me, son of it fell on stony ground. And because it had no root, when the sun came up, it withered and it died. Then some of it fell on thorny grounds. And so when it grew up, the thorns and the thistles and that grew up around it and it choked it out and, uh, and it died. And then it said some of the seed fell on good ground and it produced fruit 30, 60, and 100 fold. Then later on, the disciples asked him, said, Lord, what is the meaning of that parable? If you look with me at verse 14, he starts to explain to them what he meant by that. Verse 14, it says, And the sower soweth the word, and these are they by the wayside where the word is sown. But when they heard, Satan came immediately and taketh away the word that was sown in their hearts. And these are they likewise which are sown on stony ground, who when they had heard the word immediately received it with gladness. But because they had no root in themselves, they endured but for a time. Afterward, when affliction and persecution arise the, for the word's sake, immediately they were offended. <clears throat> and these are they which are sown among thorns, such as hear the word, and the cares of this world, and the deceitfulness of riches, and the lust of other things entering in chokes the word, and it becomes unfruitful. And these are they which are sown on good ground, such as hear the word. They receive it. It brings forth fruit, some 30, some 60, and some 100 full. Now, he points out four different groups that are identified in this parable. First of all, you got the forgetful hearer. They hear the word, but it's taken out of their life. Satan steals it away, and they forget what they've heard. Secondly, you see those people that are greedy. Those are the ones that are sown on thorny ground. They hear the word, but the deceitfulness of riches. They're deceived. They, have, they don't have time for God. They're too busy wanting to make money and to prosper and to get ahead in this world. It said the lust for other things enter in. They've got time for everything. They, they lust for football. They lust for trips to the lake, golf, races. But they don't have any real lust or desire for God. And it says it chokes out the word and it becomes unfruitful. Then he talks about the good ground. So they hear the word, they receive it, it bears fruit. And as a result of that, the kingdom grows. People are the one to Christ. But the one I want to talk about, look at it, verse 16 again with me if you would. He said, they heard the word and immediately they received it with gladness, but because they had no root in themselves, it endured but for a time. And afterwards, when, everybody say when, didn't say if, but when affliction and persecution came, they were offended. Immediately they were offended. Let's pray. Father, Jesus. We are living in troublesome times, Lord. God, I was reminded this week again of that song that says, Troublesome times are here, filling men's hearts with fear. The freedoms we all hold dear now is at stake. Humble your hearts to God, safe from the chastening rod. Seek the way pilgrims trod. Christians, awake. Jesus is coming soon, morning or night or noon. Many will meet their doom, the trumpets shall sound. 
All of the dead shall rise, righteous meet in the sky, going where no one dies, heavenward bound. Lord, we are living in troublesome times, but God, it doesn't change who you are. And Lord, this morning, I just felt we just need to rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Let your moderation be known. You, God, you're at hand. You're at hand, God. And may we always be mindful of that, Lord. Father, today we're dealing with something, God. We're trying to navigate through all of this minefield of hypersensitivity. And God, sometimes we just don't know what to do. But Lord, I'm praying that you will just open people's hearts, open their minds today, that they will see and know the truth, God. Lord, you said that we will know the truth, and the truth will make us free, God. Lord, I remember years ago when we were in the church, God, and you said the truth will set you free, but first it will tick you off. And, Lord, a lot of times people hear the truth and they're, they're offended by it. It makes them angry, God. And I pray today, God, that they will hear your word, Father, and realize that offense and taking offense is not really something that you are pleased with. So, Lord, may you heal hearts today, God, as we declare the truth of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Well, praise God. Uh, John Bevere, I don't know if any of you know who he is. He is a renowned Bible teacher. He's been teaching for many years. And back in the 80s, he wrote a book called The Bait of Satan. And in that book, he talks about the trap that trappers set, and then they'll put a stick on the to, to whatever to lure that animal into the trap. And the bait that they use on that trap is called the scandalon. And it is the same word that is used for offense in the Bible. It is the bait Offense is the bait that Satan uses to lure you into a trap to destroy you. Offense is the bait of Satan. And it's a great book, a great study if you ever want to study that. In fact, I recommend it. It's called John Bevere, The Bait of Satan. If you've never read that book, you should get it and read it. <clears throat> to have a stony heart is more than just being a forgetful hearer. It is even more than just being greedy and lustful. Offense is the biggest killer in the church today. There is a 100% guarantee that affliction and persecution will arise in your life. It's not a matter of if it happens. The Bible says afterwards when affliction and persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they are offended. If you live for God, you will have an opportunity to be offended. Luke chapter 17, verse 1 says, Then they said unto the disciples, It is impossible, but that offenses will come. But woe unto him through whom it they come. It were better for them that a millstone were hang about his neck, and he cast into the sea, than that he should be offend one of these little ones. In other words, God's going to take care of the ones who offends you. Amen? <clears throat> but then he goes on to warn in verse 3, Take heed to yourselves. If your brother trespass against thee, rebuke him. And if he repent, forgive him. And if he trespass against thee seven times in a day, and seven times in a day, turns again and says to thee, I repent, thou shalt forgive him. And the apostle said unto them, Lord, increase our faith. <laughs> It's like, all right, I've got to forgive this guy, and he, he betrays me, and I forgive him, and then he betrays me again, and I forgive him, and he does that seven times in a day, and I'm supposed to forgive him every time. God, you're going to have to help me with that. 
increase my faith. That's the only time that they ask him to increase their faith. It's when he told them that you have to forgive people when they offend you. Come on. Sometimes people take offense when no offenses have been offered. Sometimes nobody's done anything really to offend you. And then sometimes people do things that's offensive. When we first planted the church, Jeannie and I had the privilege of going to the Minister's Institute. It, it was a thing that the, the, the Potomac District put on at the Potomac Park. And ministers came from all over the United States to this event. And the district called us up and said, we want you to go to that. We're going to pay for this because you're planting a church. This will be helpful. And Jeannie and I thought, well, is this something they're just trying to be nice or is this something we really need? I was bivocational at the time. I was working and pastoring. I didn't really have the time to take off. So I called somebody that I knew in the district office and said, is this really something we need? And she said, yes, you guys need to go to this. So we went. And while we were there, we sat beside a couple. I think they were from, from Missouri, if I remember right. I'm, I might be wrong about that. <clears throat> but they were there because they're planning a church. Their senior pastor was one of the breakout group, small group speakers that was teaching there for this institute. And uh, they started talking on the subject of how to deal with conflict in the church. <clears throat> and the subject of being offended came up. And this brother sitting beside, he said, my pastor called me in one time and rebuked me. I'm like, well, been there, done that. Not that I've rebuked somebody, but I've been that guy that got rebuked by leadership. And I said, really? I said, what did he do? He said, well, he told me I was whining and acting like a big baby. I need to shut up and grow up. I said, he said it just like that. He said, yep, just like that. I said, what did you do? He said, I got mad. They ticked me off. He said, but then I realized... I needed to shut up and grow up. And as a result of that, he went on to be, on, he wasn't on staff. He was just in the church. The pastor called him in and says, you're causing trouble, this and this and this. You're whining. You're acting like a big baby. You need to shut your mouth and grow up. Now, I can see me calling somebody in this church into my office and saying that to them. It'd be, <laughs> maybe you would, maybe you wouldn't. I don't know. In his case, he took the correction, and as a result, he became a staff member in the church, and now he's sitting at the minister's institute getting ready to plant a church. Church, listen to me. Had he failed that test, he would not have been there that day. That was a test. When we were in Bible college, we had one professor. Her job was to be the offense enforcer. She deliberately tried to offend you. I didn't even have to call her name. Jeannie's like, I'm not going to call her name. She did. But yeah, I mean, we would hide when we saw her coming. We were in class one time. I worked from 7 o'clock in the evening to 7 o'clock in the morning, all night long welding. All right, I've been up all night, run home. I've got one hour to get a shower, get my shirt, my tie on, and get to class. I'm in class from 8 o'clock to 12 o'clock. Get out at 12, come home. I recorded on a cassette tape what I was going to study that night while I'm welding and listening to it. Then I would fall in the bed and basically die. Because I had from whatever time I got through with that until 6 o'clock when I got up, got dressed, and did the same thing again that night, five nights a week and eight hours on Saturday. Then went to church on Sunday and took a class during Sunday school. 
All right, so my schedule for that first year was brutal. Amen. Well, first two years, actually. The third year, I got a, a weekend shift, and hallelujah, I actually got to sleep at night. It was great. Well, we went to class one, son, one, one day, and I literally finished my notes for that class two minutes before the teacher walked in, the, the enforcer. This was her class. You don't go in... And this girl who had nothing to do, she was right out of high school, entered Bible college. Jeannie and I have got two kids and one on the way at this time. We're married. We've got a family working full time. This girl had nothing to do but go to school and study her lesson. And she did not have her lesson done. And this teacher said, excuse me, you don't have your lesson done. She said, Bernie. I'm like, oh, I knew what was coming do you have your lesson done? I was like, yes, ma'am. What did you do yesterday? I said, I was in school. What time did you get to school? I said, Eight o'clock. What time did you get out? Twelve. What did you do after you got out? I said, well, I went home, went to sleep. Why did you do that? I said, well, because I had to work. What time did you go into work? Seven o'clock. What time did you get off? Seven o'clock. I, I didn't want to answer these questions. And she said, and you found time to do your lesson? I said, yes, ma'am. She said, she told that girl, said, pull your book out. We don't, all we had to do was answer five questions. Because at the end of each lesson, there was a whole row of questions. Because we're taking this class called God's Plan for Man by Phineas Dake. And at the end, there was questions. So she must have given that girl 30 questions to answer. And said, you will have those answers when you come to this class tomorrow or do not come back to my class. Now, why did she do that? They had the philosophy that if you can't handle it here, honey, you will never make it out there. If you cannot be, handle a fence, we're going to try to offend you. And if you can't handle that here, don't enter into ministry because you will never make it. Pastors are easy targets, and they are favorite targets. <laughs> when affliction and persecution comes... When you decide that you're going to tell everybody in your church, you got to wear a mask if you come to church. Amen? You're going to offend somebody. Amen. Come on, somebody. <clears throat> Suffering and affliction and persecution is not an option. But whether you take offense or not, that is up to you. In the last days, more and more will be offended, the Bible says. In Matthew chapter 24, Jesus is actually describing what's going to happen in the last days. And he says, among other things, one thing that is certain to happen, Matthew 24 verse 10 says, And then shall many be offended, and they shall betray one another, they shall hate one another. Many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many, and because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. Now, Jesus is describing actually what's going to happen during the tribulation period. But the attitude that follows offense is the same right now as it will be then. Because there is a progression that he's describing here. And it's actually... Some scholars agree that this is because people take offense, that these other things occur. Offense is taken, and it leads to betrayal. Betrayal, it is not 
if it's not dealt with, will lead to hatred. Then hatred, we have to make an attempt to justify why we feel the way we do leads to false teaching. Because you have to twist the word to justify why you are not forgiving someone, why you are taking offense. It leads to false teaching, which leads to deception, and ultimately it will produce a loss of love. So let's understand what offense is, what it means to be offended. Because if you're going to yield a harvest of 30, 60, and 100 fold, you're going to have to learn to deal with offenses when they come, because they're coming. How many of you have ever been offended? Yeah, say, say not until I walked in here this morning. <laughs> well, how do offenses come? The Bible says that they come through affliction and persecution. Affliction and persecution, though, is always associated with a person, a person that has done something offensive to me. So, who is the most likely to offend you? If I go into the store and some guy says something out of the way to me, it's probably going to offend me, but that's, I'm not going to take offense to that because I'm probably going to forget that five minutes after I walk away. I don't know him. So it really doesn't matter. You know, you go in the store and Jeannie's like, don't wear those jeans in there. I'm like, baby, I don't know anybody in this store. I'll probably never see them again. I care if my jeans are dirty or not. How about it, guys? Come on, amen. Let me hear it don't know those people, but people that you do know. Well, you might run into somebody from the church. <laughs> Maybe I better change my jeans before I go down there then. It's always different if it's somebody you know. Psalms chapter 55 verse 12 says this. For it was not an enemy that reproached me. Then I could have borne it. Neither was it he that hateth me that did magnify himself against me. Then would I have hid myself from him. But it was thou, a man my equal, my guide, mine acquaintance. We took sweet counsel together. We walked unto the house of God in company. What is he saying? It was my equal. It was my brother, somebody close to me, somebody that I love. It was my guide, my spiritual leader, my spiritual authority, my pastor. It was my acquaintance, my dear, dear friend. He said, we had sweet counsel together. It was my close, close friend. We even went into the house of God together. We went to church together. In other words, the people that are the closest to you will offend you the most. Amen? The people that's the closest to you will offend you the most. Now, why does that happen? The reason that happens is because you have a whole different expectation level for people you know than people that you don't know. All right? We'll say this is, this is zero expectation, this stage right here. All right, people in the world, this is 10% right here. I've only got a 10% expectation of people in the world. I don't expect much of them. I don't know them. But when I meet them and, and they do something, and they do something that's 20%, now they have exceeded my expectation level by 10%. 
They've blessed me. So I'm not offended at them. In fact, I like them. They've exceeded my expectation level. But a brother and sister in Christ, I'm going to put their expectation level at 50%. But they only did 20%. They did the same thing that the world did to me. I wasn't offended at the world when they did. In fact, I was blessed. They exceeded my expectation. But this person did the same exact thing, but I was offended by 30% because they failed my expectation. All right, how about your spouse? We've got them up here at 70%. They did the same thing that the world did that blessed me by 10%. Same thing, 20%. But now they have failed by expectation by 50%. They have really offended me. Then you got a spiritual leader, a man of God, a pastor. You got him up here on the pedestal. Listen, don't put pastors on pedestals. It hurts when they fall, let me tell you. But you got him up here at 100%. He does the same thing that the world did that blessed you 20%. But now he has offended you by 80%. He has totally offended you. Are you hearing me, church? That's why people in the church will often say, well, people in the world treat me better than those Christians down there at that church. You ever heard that? Maybe you said that. Uh No, they don't. No, they don't. The people in the world just exceeded your 10% expectation level. People that you know just didn't meet your expectation because we set the bar way too high for people that we know the best. It's awful quiet in here. Somebody say amen. Amen. Let me know you're not offended yet. I'll get there. Just hang on. But offense, once it's taken, he says it leads to betrayal. Now, what is betrayal? We think of betrayal as someone that you've trusted and they have done you a gross injustice. And that is betrayal. But often betrayal is not nearly that severe. In John Bevere's book, he described betrayal as someone who seeks their protection or benefit at the expense of one they have a relationship with. Now, let me explain what I'm talking about. John 15, 13 says, Greater love hath no man than this, that he lays his life down for a friend. That doesn't mean you're taking a bullet for somebody. That means that I am going to give up my right to be loved, to be accepted, to be cared for and all, to do something for you. And I've told people this before. I love you enough to tell you the truth, even though I know you're going to get angry about that. That's laying your life down for somebody. I would prefer to be liked by you. I would prefer to flatter you and take things that make you pumps you up, makes you feel good. But that's deception. It's actually demonic. Read about flattery in the Bible. That's that's what wolves do. I'm going to get into that in just a minute. That's what wolves do. No, the truth sometimes it hurts. Romans chapter 12, verse 17 says, Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. 
If it is possible as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourself. Everybody say that with me. Do not avenge yourself, but rather give place to wrath. As it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy hungers, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heat coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. When we're offended, we seek to protect ourselves. We seek to benefit ourselves. So what we do is we break fellowship with that person, and instead of laying our life down for them, we actually betray them by turning away from them and holding them in contempt. God says the way we're supposed to treat each other is lay our life down for each other. Not walk away and break fellowship with somebody and despise them because they have offended you. You're supposed to render good for the evil they've done to you. Not avenge yourself. An unrepented offense will sever fellowship. When you say they hurt me so I am through with them, you are actually betraying the fellowship with those whom God has put in your life. And why did you do that? Because they did not meet your expectation. The expectation that you have set way too high to start with. What are you doing when you break fellowship with those who God has put in your life? Proverbs 18 verse 19 says, A brother offended is harder to be won than a strong city, and their contentions are like the bars of a castle. Is everybody with me? You need to hear this, church. When you break fellowship with the person that God has put in your life, you're putting up walls. Come on, we've all done this. Don't sit there and act all righteous. You know what I'm talking about. Somebody offends you, you're putting up walls. What are you doing? You're trying to protect yourself. You're putting up walls. A brother offended someone God has put in your life because Proverbs, I mean, Psalms 37 verse 23 says, the steps of the righteous are ordered by God. Proverbs 27, 17 says, as iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. That's when somebody looks at you and says, you're whining and acting like a big baby. You need to shut up and grow up. That's iron sharpening iron. That's somebody telling you the truth about yourself, trying to help you. They're not trying to offend you. They're trying to help you. Iron sharpens iron today, but today it's more like iron sharpening glass. We're living in a hypersensitive world where you can't tell anybody the truth. You can't tell a little boy, no, you're not a girl, you're a boy. Come on. And I'm not going to call you by a girl's name. God made you a little boy. God made you a little girl. And if that hurts your feelings, I'm, I'm trying to help you and set you free from the lies of the demonic enemy. This gender identity is demonic. And yes, it's going out on the airways, and that is a fact. It's demonic. You are fearfully and wonderfully made by God, and he does not make mistakes. That's another subject. I better get off of that. 
Stop your whining and grow up. Amen. Get in the word of God and find out what God has to say about it. You'll be better off. Believe me. <laughs> I will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on God. Amen. Come on. There, you, you can't lose with God's word. I'm telling you. Whom the son has made free is free indeed. And God wants to set you free from all of that. See, God has put you in my life for a reason. And if I put up walls to keep you out, I have betrayed our fellowship. Thereby, I have betrayed you, and I have taken the bait of Satan by being offended. And I've put up walls. Not only that, but he says you're putting up walls with bars. Look at it, Proverbs 18, 19. Look at it again. A brother offended is harder to be won than a walled city or a strong city. He's talking about a city with walls around it. And their countenance or their contentions are like the bars of a castle. So you're putting up a wall with bars in it. What is that? Where do you find walls with bars in it? It's a prison. You're building a prison for yourself. You think you're protecting yourself. You're putting up these walls and bars to keep everybody out. And all you're doing is putting yourself into a prison. The person that is offended is the one who becomes the prisoner. And then it snowballs from there. Once offense is taken, you betray the fellowship of people that God has put in your life. After that, hatred will follow. You attempt to justify your hateful attitude. You start twisting the word to try to justify yourself and explain why I have the right to feel this way, why I have the right to act this way. And you twist the word of God and become a false teacher. Soon after deception follows, you start believing that stuff yourself. It's not just an excuse anymore. It becomes a doctrine. And you become deceived and at the end of that, you will lose your love for God and the love of God. Proverbs 18.1 says, A man who isolates himself seeks his own desire, and he rages against all wise judgment. When you put yourself in that prison, you rage against anything that makes sense anymore. Because you hate it. You're filled with hate. Now, hate is not necessarily wishing harm on someone or wishing them dead. The Bible says that Absalom hated his brother Ammon. How did he hate him? It describes it. It says he neither spoke good to him nor evil. In other words, he just wrote him off. How many of you are good at writing them off? Come on. I, I am a pro at that. That's something God had to deal with me about because it's, if I, if I, I have to battle that to this day. If somebody wrongs me, I'm like, I'm done with you. Who? Who are you? You just, you just write them off. Church, the Bible calls that hatred. I'm not wishing harm on them, but I neither speak good nor evil of them. I just don't even talk about them. I don't even think about them. Like, forget you. Forget about it. Let's uh, forget about it. Yeah. 
love is being loveless. It means to have no love. It said, I used to care about you, but now you mean nothing to me. It means to be void of the love of God. First John verse three, uh, chapter three, verse 15 says, whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderers hath eternal life abiding in him. Come on, you're, getting, you're putting yourself in a very, very bad place with God. When you treat when you just write somebody off like that, you're, you're, the Bible calls that hate. And if you hate your brother, the Bible says you have not eternal life abiding in you. Come on, somebody. That's, that's some serious stuff right there. And it snowballs. Offense. You take offense, then you betray them, then you hate them. It's important to know that true love is true. What do you mean by that, Pastor? True love is truthful. True love doesn't always tell you what you want to hear. Proverbs 27, 17 says, As iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. What does that mean? Well, if you know a blacksmith, he sticks iron into a, a fire and heats it up, and then he pulls it out and puts it on an anvil, and he takes another piece of iron called a hammer, and he beats the daylights out of the thing. All right. Then he gets it down and he takes another piece of iron called a file and he starts grinding on the thing. That's talking about iron sharpens iron. That's the same way that a friend sharpens the countenance of his friend. He doesn't always cuddle him and say flattering things and tell him all this sweet stuff and being so nice. We are notorious for this in the South. Southern hospitality. It should be called Southern hypocrisy. Come on, I'm Southern born, Southern bred, and bless God when I die, I'll be Southern dead. All right? So I'm, I'm not a Northerner talking about you Southern folks. I are one of you. Amen? And in the South, they got Southern hospitality. Hi, how you doing? So good to see you. How's your mama? And then the guy walks out and says, I never did like that guy. I don't like his mama either. Uh, come on. Why? Because we got to be nice to people. You got to be polite. You got to lie to them. No, iron sharpens iron. That's one thing. We lived in Connecticut for 22 months. And when I went up there, the way people talk to each other, I'm like, Mr., you talk to somebody like that in the South, they're going to punch you right in your face. You don't talk to people like that down South. But I learned to respect the fact that if they didn't like you, you knew they didn't like you. And I'm like, I kind of like that. They were just honest about how they felt about each other. And I'm like, and, and I learned from that. I'm like, I appreciate that. You know, the, the truth, years ago in church, I think we had a word said, the truth will set you free, but first it will tick you off. Come on, somebody tells you something you need to hear. They love you enough to tell you that. It makes you mad. Shut your mouth. You're acting like a baby. You need to shut up and grow up. And boy's like, who do you think you're talking to? I'll punch you in your nose. You know, that's the But if they're helping you with that, you should appreciate that. Amen? At first, it'll tick you off, but it'll set you free if you'll just listen and, and receive that correction. A lot of people, they can't receive correction. They, they go into this offense, betrayal, hate, deception, 
right on down until they don't have any love for God or the love of God. Let me move on here. We become the victims of false teaching. You must justify your behavior. The Bible calls that false prophets. Jesus said of a false prophet, said that they are sheep, they're wolves in sheep's clothing. The apostle Paul in, in, in Acts chapter 20, verse 29, told the, the church at Ephesus, he said, while I was with you, I ceased not to warn you night and day for three years with tears that after my departure, wolves will enter in, not sparing the flock. All right, what is he saying? They're on the outside. And when I, the shepherd, am gone, the reason they're not in here now is because Paul said, because I'm here, the shepherd's here. And they're not coming in here because I know what they are and I'm go- I'll kill the wolf. Okay, I'm going to call them out. I'm not going to let them come in here and devour the sheep. So they're on the outside. But as soon as I'm gone, the shepherd's gone. They're coming back in and they're coming in to devour the flock. He said, they will enter in, not sparing the flock. And then he says, and also among yourselves shall men arise, drawing disciples unto themselves. What is he saying? Not only are the wolves out there, but they're in here right now. Some of you, he's saying, are wolves. The only difference is you're wearing a sheep's coat. And it's hard to tell because you talk to talk. You've got the spiritual. Quite often, the, the wolf with sheep's clothing is more spiritual than anybody in the church. They're far more spiritual than the pastor. And they're usually the ones that's coming by flattering you, telling all the things that you need to hear. And that mean old pastor and he's this and the mean old board members and this and that. Um, and they'll pump you up and think you're the greatest prophet of God and this and that. And you're like, well, they love me. No mean old pastor. No, they're a wolf. Church, they're a wolf. They're wearing sheep's clothing. Are you hearing me, church? Because they're not iron sharpening iron. They're telling you what you want to hear. The Bible says in the last days, men shall not endure sound doctrine, but they will heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. Amen. They won't endure sound doctrine. They want somebody to come and tell me nice things about my, tell me it's all right to be a homosexual and still be a Christian. Huh? Tell me it's all right that I can have an adulterous affair. I can have sex outside of marriage and still be a Christian. Huh? Tell me that I can smoke pot and still be a worship team member. Come on. Deception is believing that you are right, but really you are dead wrong. You say, well, what if you are right and the person that has offended you is wrong? <laughs> God will take care of them. All right, they're not your responsibility. You are your responsibility. All right, yeah, people offend you. They will offend you. Sometimes you take offense when offense has not been offered. Sometimes you take offense when somebody has been offensive. But either way, it's up to you whether you take the bait or not. I can't do anything about them. Whether they mean well or they mean me harm, I can't do anything about them. God will take care of them. But how I respond to them, am I going to write them off? Am I going to build the walls? Am I going to reject them and, and betray them? That's up to me. Are you hearing me, church? 
That's up to me. I can't do a thing about them, but I can do a whole lot about me. When Jeannie and I left to Bible college, I said we went to Connecticut. It was not pretty. And I won't go into the detail, but I, my pastor was totally wrong. He was totally wrong. And as a result of that, we severed our relationship. Uh, it's the first time I ever went to an Assembly of God church. And the AG pastor there, he began to try to heal us. But I was so deeply wounded, I just wanted out. We finally moved back to Virginia for the next year. I didn't read my Bible. I didn't pray. I didn't go to church. I didn't want anything to do with Christians, pastors, church, God, or nothing. I was pretty much, the walls were up, the bars were up, and I was a prisoner. And convincing myself that I was right. Because actually, technically, I was right. People agreed. I had been wronged. I was right. Deception, church, listen to me. Deception. I was right. But the way I dealt with it, I was totally wrong. You can be right and totally wrong at the same time. So I was offended. I had unrealistic expectations of this young man. He had only been a Christian. When he started pastoring the church, he became a Christian, went straight to Bible college. Three years later, he is a senior pastor of a church. He's basically a babe in Christ. At that particular time, I had been spirit-filled for almost a decade, grew up in a pastor's home, and I'm trying to help him plant this church, and we came under an attack, just an all-out attack from the leadership. And it was an iron sharpening iron. It was just, I don't even know what it was. And then there was a question of the man who had sent us up there, the president of the Bible college, and I was calling him into question. I'm telling our pastor, I'm like, look, something's not right. And it wouldn't be until years later that we found out that the founder of the Bible college was a closet homosexual. I didn't know that. I just knew something wasn't right. But years later, we would address that. I, I was betrayed. I broke the fellowship with him. I hated him. Not that I wished him harm, but he, did, he meant absolutely nothing to me. I was bought into the false teaching, consoling myself in the fact that I was right and others agreed with me. I was in deception. Even though my position was based on truth and fact, I was still wrong. And then I hit the final stage. Matthew 24, 10 said, many shall be offended. Let's look at it one more time, and I'm going to close. Are you still with me? Say amen. Many shall be offended. They will betray one another. They'll hate one another. False prophets shall arise and shall deceive many. Because iniquity abounds, the love of many shall wax cold. I had lost my love. I had lost my love of God and was right at the point of losing my love for God. How do I know that? John 14, 15 says, if you love me, you will keep my commandment. How do you know you love God? You keep my commandment. John 15, 12 says, and this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. How many in this room has met Jesus' expectation? Huh? None of us has met his expectation, but he loves us anyway, right? So when people fail to meet your expectation, are you required to love them? Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandment. And this is my commandment, that you love one another just like I have loved you. 
I was almost at the point of losing my love for God. One year after I left Connecticut, I sat beside the South Anna River and prayed for God to help me and began the healing process. It would be years after that. I was actually pastoring this church. I was getting ready to preach this sermon. It's not the first time I've preached this. And God said, you can't preach that. You've never made things right with that man in Connecticut. And I got on the phone on a Saturday night and called him up. And it, I just happened to get him on the phone. His, his, I won't tell you his full name. His name is Mark. And I said, Mark, this is Bernie. Well, hey, Bernie, how you doing? I'm like, well. And I just told him. And I said, Mark, I just need to tell you I'm sorry. man. I need to ask you to forgive me. And people say, but he didn't, you didn't do anything wrong. No, I didn't. But yes, I did. It wasn't what was the fact that he didn't do something to me. It was the fact that I didn't respond right to that. I took the offense and didn't act right uh, in response to it. Later in 2006, Jeannie and I drove up there and I embraced my brother. and said, Mark, I love you, man. And rekindled our fellowship, rebuilt our fellowship. Church, I'm convinced that if you don't pass this test, you will never be the man sitting in the minister's institute doing what God has called you to do, whatever that is. If you take the bait of Satan, I have seen this so many times. People get offended in churches. They get pouty. They run off, and they flounder for the rest of their life. They never accomplish anything of any significance for the kingdom of God. I've never seen it happen any different than that. Every time a person gets offended and they walk away, they never accomplish anything of any significance for the kingdom of God. They flounder here and there trying to do things for Jesus, but he can't use them. Quite often, they'll turn into wolves themselves. Wolves pack. They go find other people that's offended. And then they try to, they'll try to call you like, and try to devour you to get you to see the offense that they're carrying to try to get you disgruntled and get you to leave the church. Come on, you know what I'm talking about. Some of them are lone wolves. They are just, their whole goal is to draw disciples unto themselves. They're not turning people's attentions to Christ. My goal is to turn your focus to Jesus, not to me. I told you, don't put me on a pedestal. Now, I want to be the pedestal. I want to lift you up. Amen. Come on. Don't take the bait of Satan, church. Is there somebody you need to call and say, I'm sorry? Will you please forgive me? Even though you haven't done anything wrong. And maybe you have done something wrong. But either way, your heart's not right. You've taken offense. You've severed that fellowship. You have no love for them, meaning you speak neither good nor evil for them. You're convincing yourself that you're right. So you're teaching yourself, if at least, a false teaching. Pretty soon you'll be deceived into believing all of that is true. 
And if you continue on that path, there's very, very strong possibility that you'll lose your love for God. You've already lost your love for that person. Amen. If you're here or if you're joining us by internet, let me just say to you that God wants to heal you from offense. And he will if you will let him. He will heal your heart from being offended if you will let him. He, he knows what you feel like. Come on. He was rejected of men, a man acquainted with sorrow. He bore as it was our grief. The Bible says he took upon himself the sins of us all. All we like sheep have gone astray. He was wounded for our transgression, bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement of our pieces upon him by his stripes were healed. Isaiah 53, read it. <clears throat> Yet we esteem him stricken, smitten of God. Praise the Lord. Well, let's close it. Guys, if you want to come on back up, the worship team, and let's. Are you still with me? Say amen. amen. Say, I love you, Pastor B. I love you too, and there's nothing you can do about it. Amen. I'm going to ask you if you would just go ahead and stand to your feet and just bow your head, close your eyes. I want you to listen to. <clears throat> there's five things I want to just read out of my notes here that I want you to consider. The first is Has someone offended you? They had unrealistic, unrealistic expectations you had for them. Come on, you have to realize that nobody in here is Jesus Jr. Come on, if the world can do something at 20% and they've blessed us by 10% and somebody else does in church does the same thing, it should be a blessing to you. If it was a blessing when this guy done it, it ought to be a blessing when that guy does it. But instead, it's an offense because you've got unrealistic expectations of them. So if someone offended you, you need to understand that, you know, it may not have been what they did at all, but what I expected them to do. And they didn't do what I expected them to do. And even if they were totally wrong and you're totally right, you still took the offense. You took the bait of Satan. And it's the bait that traps you. It's the bait that imprisons you. Have you betrayed the fellowship of that person once that happened? You used to have such sweet fellowship, the Bible said, David said. We had such sweet fellowship. We entered into the house of God together. But now you've taken offense. You no longer have fellowship with him. You've written them off. So have you put up walls to keep them out? Walls to keep from getting hurt again. Walls with bars on it. In other words, have you built a prison for yourself? The third thing is, are you at the hate stage yet? That person or those people that were special to you, now they mean nothing to you. Has your heart become stony ground? See, Jesus said some of the seed fell on stony ground, but because it had no root, 
when the sun arose, when affliction and persecution came, it didn't survive. Have you become a false teacher? Are you finding company with other people that you know are carrying around an offense? You try to console yourself with people that will agree with you. You try to convince yourself that you're right, but in your heart, you know. A false teacher will tell you what you want to hear. A true brother, like iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of your friend, will tell you the truth, even if it hurts. And the last thing is, are you in deception? Even though your position may be based on truth and fact, you are still wrong. The Bible says, but he that endures to the end, the same shall be saved. You need to forgive those that have trespassed against you. That is something that I had to deal with while I was going through Bible college. It was a lesson that the Lord taught me. Actually, it was taught, I learned it from Brother Morris Sheets. He was the pastor of First Baptist Church in Dallas, Texas. Became filled with the Holy Ghost and went in a traveling ministry, and he came to our Bible college. And he told the story about his wife. She contracted some rare disease so that she couldn't stand light. She couldn't stand sound. She was just oversensitive to all of that. They kept her in a dark room. They would have to talk to her in a whisper. She couldn't st stand hardly the touch of the sheets on her body. She couldn't walk with any kind of shoes on. She had to walk barefooted when she'd get up and move around the house. And they didn't know what was wrong with her. The doctors couldn't find what was wrong with her. And she, Brother Morris was getting ready to go to South America on a conference. And he, he told his wife, he said, I don't want to leave you in this condition. I'm going to cancel my appointment. I'm going to stay here with you. And she insisted, no, I want you to go. And so he finally agreed. He went. It was a, like a month of conventions in South America. And he left. Well, while she was there, her daughter would come in. And she would read the scripture to her mother. And she kept reading this one scripture that says, To be carnally minded is death. But to be spiritually minded is life. And she said, every time she would read that, something would just go off in me that just angered me. She said, I prayed, God, what is wrong with me? And she said, God brought to her remembrance two men in ministry that had wronged her and her husband, grossly wronged them. Her and her husband had done nothing wrong. These men were completely wrong. But she had taken offense to those two men. And she said, God reminded her that even though you're right and they're wrong, you're still wrong because of the attitude of your heart. You have to forgive those men. And this is what I learned from Morrisheet's wife. Because she got up and got a testimony, remember? It was in Ridgecrest, North Carolina. Big conference we was attending. And she got up there and she said, I could not forgive those men. I hated those men. 
She said, but when I heard that from God, you have to forgive these men. She said, God, because you command me to, I choose to forgive those men. She said, but God, you know everything. You know I don't mean this. You know in my heart I don't mean what I'm saying. But I choose to forgive them because you commanded me to. And upon that basis, I forgive them, she said. And she said, every day I prayed that. God, I forgive them. She'd call them by name. She said, but the time that Morris returned from his conference, not only was I saying I forgive them, I was praying God's blessing on them. I was praying God's blessing on their family. And uh, Marcy said, when I landed the airplane and walked into the airport, said, I met my wife in the airport wearing high heel shoes. God completely healed that woman from whatever was wrong with her so that she could go back out in public, lights, sound, nothing bothered her, and she was wearing high heel shoes, he said. <laughs> I learned something from that. While I was in Bible college, I actually literally made a list of people that had wronged me, people that I hated. I mean, I hated it to the point that I entertained thoughts of getting even with them. And I won't even describe what that looks like because you would probably ask me to resign and leave as your pastor if you knew what's going on inside of this head in my lifetime. And I said, God, you know I don't mean this in my heart, but because you commanded me to, I forgive and I'd call them by name. And I forgive and I'd call them by name. And church, I can stand here this morning and testify to the truth that if you will do that, God will change your heart. And you truly can not only say, I forgive them. You can pray, God, I pray that you bless them. I pray that you bless their family. I pray that you just change their heart, God. I pray for their soul, Lord. I pray that I can rejoice with them in heaven. How I many people that wrong me, I, I could tell you stories. You can do this. Not only can you do it, church, you're commanded to do it. If you ever are going to be free, are you listening? If you're ever going to be free, you have to do this. If you've taken offense, you have taken the bait of Satan, and it'll kill you. Just recently, I talked to a young lady, and she's talking about people that wronged her. I said, honey, listen to me. Bitterness drieth the bones. The Bible says bitterness drieth the bones. Let me ask you, where do you see dry bones? In a grave. Out in a desert, the bleached sun. Dry bones is speaking of a dead man. What that scripture is saying is bitterness will kill you. It'll kill you. You simply cannot hold on to offense and expect to live free, expect to be blessed, expect to prosper. You just can't. So no matter who's listening to me, whether you're in this room or you're on the Internet, God wants to heal you from offense. But it begins with you.
and you just say, God, I forgive that person. And you just name them and continue to pray that. And you continue that attitude till the day you see Jesus. Because he who endures to the end, the same shall be saved. Amen. So wherever you're at, whatever is going on in your head right now, everybody's probably dealing with something different. Why don't you right now where you're at, just bow your head and just silence to yourself. You don't have to say it. Somebody hears it. But just say, Father, I forgive. And whoever that comes to mind, and maybe you just can't think of all of them today or maybe more than one. But you begin to name them one by one and let God begin to do a healing in your heart. In church, you had to continue that because, listen, I learned that in Bible college, but yet I'm a graduate of Bible college. I, I've got a degree. I'm, a, I'm credentialed. I'm helping. A, I'm an associate pastor in a church in Connecticut, and still I took offense, even though I knew these things. So this is a lifelong practice that you have to continue. God, I pray that you put a guard on our heart, Lord so that we don't take offense, Lord. And God, that we have a conscience that's void of offense towards God and man. Lord, put a guard on our heart so that when people say things, whether they mean to offend us, Lord, or not, we will not take the bait, God. We will not take offense against that person. We will not sever our relationship with those to whom we have sweet counsel, God, those that you have put into our life, God, those that's supposed to be iron, sharpening iron. God, they're supposed sometimes to offend us, Lord. None of us are Jesus, Jr. All of us have things in our life that needs correcting, and sometimes when people bring that correction, Lord, help us, God, to be humble enough to receive that correction, Lord. Sometimes we do need to shut up, Lord, and grow up. Stop whining. Stop complaining, Lord. And God, if we could just do that, then we put in ourselves in a place where we pass the test, God, and we're in a position where you can use us, Lord. So, Father, I pray for every single person. God, it's not my intention to offend anyone today, Lord, but just the opposite. God, I pray that the truth will be heard today, God, and they will know the truth, and the truth will make them free. God, everything that the wolves both inside and outside are trying to do, God, I pray that you jerk the sheep's coat off of them. God, you reveal what they are, Lord. And Father, you stop them from devouring the sheep, Lord. Father, whether they're outside, Lord, and they're, they're running to those sheep, God, when they wander away from the flock and all of a sudden they're, they're racing to them to try to woo them and smooth them and, and say all kind of flattering things to them, Lord, and deceiving them, Lord, all the while they're devouring them and they don't even know it because they're simply trying to draw disciples unto themselves, God. Stop it, Lord. You stop it, God. Then, Lord, I would pray for that person that's doing that, Lord. I pray that you would just reveal to them, God, the dangerous place where they stand. Like you told Moses, they're not fighting against you, Moses. They're fighting against me, God. That Korah spirit, Lord, that's trying to draw people to themselves, God. That Absalom spirit, Lord, that's trying to convince the people at the gate. Lord, you reveal to them, Lord, that you destroyed Korah, God. You destroyed Absalom, and you will destroy them if they do not repent. Heal their heart, God. Lord, we wish harm on no living person.
But, God, we wish them good, God. We wish that they prosper even as their soul prospers, Lord, and that they would be in health. But, God, I pray that you help them to remove every hindrance, Lord, that would prevent that from happening. Sometimes, Lord, they're the only ones that can remove that obstacle. God, we are the only ones that can tear down the walls that we have erected. So, Lord, I pray that every single person under the sound of my voice this morning, Lord, will begin to dismantle those walls, God. As they forgive this one, Lord, they take down that brick. And as they forgive that one, they take down that brick. And as they forgive that one, they rip out those bars, God, until pretty soon, Lord, the walls are gone, God. And there is open and sweet fellowship once again with those that they love, Lord God, and those that love them. Bring healing into the body of Christ today, Lord. Father, we are in difficult times, Lord. There are things and decisions that we have to make, God, that's going to be offensive to some people. Lord, I pray that you help them to know, God, we're trying to navigate through this minefield of madness, God. The very best that we know how. Give us wisdom to know how to do it. Lord, I pray for every pastor across the nation and around the world, Lord. God, as we need revival in the land more now than ever, God. Satan is raging, God. He's raging, raging against the church, Lord. And God, you have raised up spiritual leadership, Lord, to guide people through these terrible times, Lord. Father, I pray that you give us wisdom and insight beyond our ability. God, that we can see and know what to do, Lord. God, bind our hearts together, Lord. Bind our hearts together this morning, Jesus, right here at CVAG. God. You know, I just, you know me in songs, right? Boom, it just pops in my head. <laughs> no man is an island. No man stands alone. It's not a Christian song, but it's a good song, okay? How many knows the song I'm talking about? No man is an island. No man stands alone. Each man's joy is joy to me. Each man's grief is my own. We need one another, so I will defend each man as my brother, each man as my friend. Isn't that a great song? Amen. You guys got a song ready? Well, let's sing it. While they're singing this song, maybe you want to just seal this this morning. I'm not saying that you're required to, but if you want to just seal what decision you have made this morning, if you want to take a minute just to come and kneel at the altar and say, Lord, I, I mean this. I commit this to you. I'm going to change this. I'm going to work through this.